passion, innovation, X-Factor, enthusiasm, and leadership in education. That's what the Pixel Classroom Podcast is all about. I'm your host, Ryan Reed, business and technology teacher. You can listen to the Pixel Classroom Podcast on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and even now on Amazon Podcasts. You can even copy the RSS feed right to your computer for easy listening. And if you like what you hear, please think of subscribing to the podcast and please leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. Welcome to episode 29 for October 2020. Yes, where everything's pumpkin spice, even Jen Burst's <laughs> pumpkin challenge. And today on the Pixel Classroom podcast, no, I don't have Jen. As much as I love Jen, she only can do so many episodes. I have an amazing guest today. He is currently the Chief Learning Officer for Ready Learner One LLC. He is the educational technologist, teacher, and former school administrator based in Westchester County in New York. Prior to entering the learning space, he was a technology consultant for a Fortune 500 company specializing in network engineering and software development projects. Basically, my sister, Vis Mail, and he is the co-host <laughs> of his very own podcast known as the Partial Credit Podcast. I think I'm going to be submitting my LLC later on. He is the co-author of Reality Bytes, Innovative Learning Using Augmented and Virtual Reality. And it's a great book, too, by the way. I highly recommend it. And his upcoming book, The Esports Educational Playbook Empowering Every Learner Through Inclusive Gaming. He has also been published in books for the Chromebook Infused Classroom. Yes, I bought it. And High Tech Teaching Success, a step by step guide using innovative technology in your classroom and fueled by Coffee and Love, a brew perspective. I am also co writer of that book series as well. Nice. I am welcoming the one and only Jesse Lebinsky. <laughs> to the Pixel Classroom Podcast. Hello, Jesse. Thank you. So before before we get started, I don't know if you, you, I mean, this is a little putting you on the spot. So Westchester County, that's where I live. Do you know what the Marvel claim to fame is for Westchester County? Well, the Xavier Institute, of course. Okay, there, good, good. Okay, <laughs> here's a little test. So before we started recording, Ryan and I started geeking out for about 30 minutes on just like all kinds of random uh, comic book stuff. But I have to say, so your logo for this podcast Please tell me that's a sticker. Yes, it's a sticker. Oh, I need a sticker. That is that is a oh, sweet, no. I, I, sweet I, I, logo. I, I, I have to I tell have you, many many pieces here. I got the couple yeah. ones and everything. I got I'm, a I'm sticker. A, I'm definitely a, a sticker fiend, and I go to all these events, and I'm definitely like geeking out on stickers. But when I saw the logo for this podcast, I was like, oh, that is a nice logo. I, I get a sticker on that. Well, and it, and it's funny. I always send a, a thank you letter to everybody's on my podcast. I always include a sticker and I always have an original pixel piece. I also send to people too. Wow. So you hey Zeus, if you're hearing this, I'm still waiting for your address to send it to you. He was on, hey Zeus Herta, who was on last time, who you might remember from uh, Teachers Deserve It. But yeah, hey Zeus and I were uh, talking last episode and I have everything ready to go for him, including a special little pixel uh, perler bead I put together for him. And it's like, Jesus, quick contact me. Oh, so, so I think Jesse won't be as much as a problem. I usually respond. <laughs> I usually ask him a question through Messenger or Twitter, and he's like jumps right on me. Like, oh well, yeah, whatever. I, I know this. there's stickers involved now. Now <laughs> on top of it, he's probably gonna want one of my last pins here. They were doing a special thing. Um, many people always ask me this, but they say, "Where do you get these stickers?" And I said, "Sticker Mule." I mean, Sticker Mule, since- man. And I got to say, they're very, I mean, we're not sponsored by them. I'll give them a shout out though. But yeah, I mean, Sticker Mule always has some amazing things. And once they give me like a good deal and I even say like, hey, the bills are paid. I think I'll get one of those. I got their uh, push uh, push mini pins recently, which has our new logo that was designed by um, Hamercha, 
who's a artist, a freelance artist on a Fiverr, and she created it. But I, I showed her to her, and she thought it was absolutely looked really cool. And she said, "Yeah, I had somebody make one uh, a logo for them, and it's on their uh, on their company car." I said, "How does that make you feel?" She's like, "I should have charged them more." <laughs> <laughs> oh, so yeah. Again, total shout out to Sticker Mule. I, it, you want to sign up for their list because they send out these amazing deals. So I'm oh, I never check like those, you know the the promotional spammy emails or whatever, but sticker meal is the one I'll open because they tend to run these deals every couple months for the, like the die cut holographic stickers for like yeah. 99 for like 50, which is such a crazy sale. It's like, you'll, you know what, everyone, no matter who's listening, you'll find something to put on one of those stickers. Uh, if, if the deal comes along. So just, uh, definitely subscribe to their list. Offer some I mean, of they even make packaging deals. I if I actually, right. You know, if I, if I was like, as I say, you know, like shake up learning or ditch that textbook or DBC and we all know I'm a big DBC guy. I, I just said like, well, yeah, for shipping table, you do that. They'll do like, oh yeah, get this many rolls for 20 bucks. It like comes up every two months. And I definitely right. enter their Amazon contest. Everything That's so I won, just like the win a thousand dollars by listening to light FM today at two twenty-five. But <laughs> this is how bad we get on the podcast someday. So actually I'll try to steer us back on it. So we've done our shout out to sticker mule. I'll have to hash, I'll have to, you know, <laughs> tag them in the, in the link later on. So Jesse, first of all, thank you for being part of the podcast. So why don't you give us a little background on your career in education? That's not a uh, Marvel related. As we sure. Well. So I, I took a little bit of a circuitous route into education. I started my career. You mentioned as a technology consultant for fortune 500 companies, uh, the tech bubble burst. I'd always kind of wanted to get into education. So I joined the New York city teaching fellows program, which was kind of like teach for America, but, um, but in New York city and, um, taught in New York city for a couple of years, moved up to the burbs, uh, spent about a decade, a little under a decade in the classroom as a middle school and high school math and computer science pro computer science teacher, uh, did programming and then crossed over to the dark side and was a director of technology and innovation uh, as an administrator for about a decade. And now I'm chief learning officer of Ready Learner One. It's been a, it's been a crazy ride. It's been really exciting. Yeah, it's, it sounds like quite, quite an amazing a great, career. You know, Education is a great place to be, you know, just if you're passionate about it. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, I, I worked in food. I worked in healthcare. I did business. You know, now I'm a business and technology teacher and I will be an administrator <laughs> as well. Like I said, I've been to the dark right. side back in the gray. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, back, you know, how I've been, you know, straight classroom now for hard to believe four years, even finishing an advanced degree. I mean, people always look at you too. It's like, how are you a doctor and still a classroom teacher? I'm like, you can be a doctor and a classroom teacher. The kids call, still call me Mr. Reader, Dr. Reader, just up to, <laughs> just up to it, the classroom. I've always found it really interesting that people think there's this career path where you accelerate through being a teacher to become an administrator when those are completely different skill sets that are required to do those two things. It's almost like saying, wow, you're really good at being a cook. You should become a firefighter. It's like, it's two different <laughs> things entirely. Right. So, no, yes, they're both in education, but, but one thing does not preclude that you will be good at the other thing. So, you know, I know teachers who, who were not necessarily great or stellar in the classroom who are incredible administrators and vice versa. Yeah, I, same here. I've been, I've seen somewhere they were incredible people in the classroom and then they went into administration and just was not a good fit. And like me, you know, people always talk like, well, where are you fit? I said, I'm more of like right now kind of an acting, you know, instructional tech coach for my staff because of what we've been through too. But that's kind of where I've been going for a while because I do have a passion myself for actually teaching teachers. I just am because I had a lot that helped me through those days when I, when I switched, which is hard to believe a decade now. And it's just that I just kind of want to return that too. And I'm just, like I said, I'm just kind of the cheerleader. If my, if my uh, book, uh, 
manuscript ever makes it out there. I talk about how it's you know being the cheerleader for everybody. So, but I think that's a big piece of it, right? When especially when you come into education from a business background, I think it it exposes you to a an array of experiences that kind of color your perception of of how things are in schools. I think if you come through the traditional track to becoming a teacher, you to some degree you don't ask as many questions about why things are the way they are, and I think when you're coming in from from the, and looking at it through another lens, you're like, wait a minute, I don't know. So why does it have to take this long in order to do this? And I, I do think there's a piece and it's funny. I hear a lot of what you're saying echoed in, you know, what I've shared before in that really where my passion has been, is in, been in helping teachers to kind of see the power uh, that technology can hold in enhancing learning experiences for students. Yeah. And that's one thing when I was reading reality bites, when you guys were writing, I mean, one of the big thing was, is you know, I've looked more into AR VR and I've, I've dabbled mm-hmm. now. And again, I've gotten more into it now. It's a little hard, you know, Amanda Fox is a good friend of mine. Her and I have gone back and forth, but I think, you know, in current circumstances, it's a little hard to kind of go into that main AR. You can't just throw the Oculus on and say, here, you know, Jimmy, you put on the Oculus. It's mm-hmm. like, ah, I don't think I want to be doing that. Amanda's a rock star. I, there's so many people that have been at the forefront of this for such a long time. I don't think I was ever kind of leading the way. Uh, I happen to be fortunate enough to kind of co-write the book with Micah, who you know, Micah Shippey, mm-hmm. Dr. Micah Shippey is, he's, he was one of those people who was kind of pioneering the use of AR and VR in the classroom. My passion was always in leveraging technology for, to improve teaching and, and learning outcomes. But it's amazing once you start to use these tools and you're like, wow, this is stuff we've been seeing in the movies for years and yeah. it's actually here. And once you get a headset on a teacher and they experience this, that's when that's the magic moment. And that's been really the, the, the difficulty <laughs> with releasing Reality Bites right before a pandemic because people have been like, wow, so you know, distance learning, right? This must be the time for virtual reality. And we're like, nobody wants to put a headset on that no. someone else was wearing. This is so not that time. However... There are all these amazing web-based AR and VR yeah. that are kind of opening up those entry points for educators to start to see the value of these tools. And I think in a few years, you know, um, you're familiar with Facebook Horizon? Oh, yeah, I am. Actually. Yeah, so, so I think when tools like that start to come out, where now you're talking about social VR, where it's literally like the Oasis in Ready Player One. Right. I think that's when you're going to start to see this transition over to how do I leverage these tools for student content creation, for all of the different things, right, the, that, that are in the Sandra model. How are we redefining our learning experiences based around the power that these tools hold? And I was talking to one of my science teachers and she's, you know, she's been working a little thing, but I was like, oh, you know, I've never looked at your space and exploration new class. She's like, well, Ryan, I, I actually have been teaching this for a couple <laughs> of years. I said, okay, I'm an astronomy geek, but I said, I wasn't aware of it until now. But then I said, have you looked at the NASA uh, exploration through mm-hmm. New Horizons? She looked at me like, no, I have like, you need to check that out. I mean, you can just do something right there. I said, I can get on the Chromebooks. You can get, I mean, you don't have to change too much of your curriculum, but I'm like, you can just do it. It's just amazing to see the pan outs, the everything. And I said, it's all live feed. It's just amazing. You know, a lot of the conversations I have, people are always saying, well, you know, VR is going to be this game changing thing. And I think down the road it will be, but I actually think AR in the short term is going to be the, the technology that really shifts the conversation around these technologies. So just for your listeners who may not be familiar with the two terms. So, you know, VR, virtual reality, the headset, you guys have seen it in movies all over, you know, so um, I, you know, whether it's Ready Player One or all these different things where you put on the headset and you're transported into this other world. In reality, VR is simply just, you know, 
digital content that's recreating the world around you. So even right. something with street view still qualifies as VR in that, in that sense. You know, when you think about using Google Cardboard or something like that. AR, augmented reality, is digital content overlaid with the real world. So what's funny is people are like, well, I've never seen that before. It's like, actually, every time you use a Snapchat filter, yep. you're using AR. There's, there, you've, you've already been using AR without even realizing it. So think about even in the movies, like Iron Man's headset, you know, Jarvis. That's, yeah. that's his view of the real world is being overlaid with digital content. That is augmented reality. So I think when we look at a lot of the tools that, that um, schools are starting to use, these free tools, there's some amazing free tools out there that are augmented reality that leverage devices that students already have. So even for younger kids, I think of something like catchy words, um, which, you know, has kids spelling words where you're basically moving your phone and popping bubbles to get the words into the right order. It's a more um, tactile way of approaching some of those um, things we used to do with traditional manipulatives or worksheets. And believe it or not, the easiest one to use, you have two that are right on now too, is Flipgrid's one. It has a whole lot of AR on it. Incredible. QR, I, my mar- right. I taught my marketing kids and they all kept looking at me like, why are we using Flipgrid so much? I know you've loved Flipgrid all year. And no, people can't see I'm wearing a Flipgrid shirt. I was just about to say, I was like, I, was like, I, was like, I wonder what he's going to say. And then he's yeah. a Flipgrid. I'm like, why didn't I realize he was going to say Flipgrid? He's literally wearing a Flipgrid shirt while we're talking. But, but um, yeah, I mean, so- we were just sharing with some, some teachers the other day, you know, the beauty of Flipgrid with this new AR thing is you can create online gallery walks, like all these different great experiences that bring the video they create in Flipgrid to life. I mean, it's so powerful. Yeah, and my friend, uh, Dr. Uh, Kai Rush, he did his dissertation on augmented, I should say, augmented reality to engage reluctant learners. And he was talking about things like, you know, using YouTube, QR codes, mm-hmm. Asura, you know, Flipgrid hadn't made that part here. And then he's now writing something about that. He's actually talking about free tools and how you can do it and everything. And that, yeah, my marketing kids, all of a sudden they were like, well, I don't get what I'm doing. I said, well, I'm we'll download the QR code. Like, okay, I'm like, okay, now I said, take out your flip phone. I know you got it. I know you have the app because you record at home more than you do in my classroom. I said, now turn it over and scan it. And they looked at me like, whoa, 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 what just happened? I'm like, that, that's it. I said, guys, it's an AR. Think of your Instagram or, or Snapchat. That's it. But yeah. well, it doesn't do this. Like it's the same thing, guys. Same thing. So but I know you know mind this. Mind blown. Mind blown you, for them. You have the book, but uh, Reality Bytes is actually web AR enabled. So mm-hmm. if you take out your phone and scan the QR code on the back cover, you hold it over the front cover, cover Micah, Christine and I pop out and start yep. talking about the book. If you go through the different chapters, you hold your phone there. No doubt, no software download needed. That's the power of these web-based AR experiences. And you know, um, there's this workflow we've been sharing at conferences lately where Micah had actually found a pine cone in his backyard and he used clone, the clone app, Q-L-O-N-E. To oh, scan, yes, yes, yes. I've seen that To one. scan in the pine cone. The pine cone becomes this, this AR asset now. And then in spatial, we were able to bring in that pine cone. And I was holding the pine cone in my hand and expanding it. So you can now, with devices you already have, turn any object in your home into a, an augmented reality asset that can be then shared with the rest of the class. So we talk about how do we leverage these tools for hybrid remote learning? That's a perfect example. Now as a teacher, if I want to bring something to my students and have them tangibly hold it, right now is probably not the time we want to bring it into school and have them passing it around. But I can right. provide them with any asset that I can scan in, in augmented reality and share it so that they can take a look and actually manipulate it with their, their phone. 
Yeah, and that's what an amazing thing because I mean, you use a lot of passions with technology and game with students. So, how are you bringing that in this current, you know, environment, and especially with your augmented virtual and now esports avenue? You know, how does that really come about now for you in the classroom with the students and the teachers now, Jesse? So, you know, the AR VR piece, like I said, we've been trying to make a hard pivot to web-based AR, web-based VR, and specifically, we've been um, doing a lot of creation of experiences that help train and assess soft skills. So that's always been this, this, this thing. VR and AR both are really powerful tools for doing some forms of training that you never could do before. So I'll, I'll give you an example just from our, our lives. You know, we went through teacher prep programs. There was no real way to teach classroom management, right? It was like this. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. They basically, you, right when you graduated, they handed you the first days of school by Harry Wong and they're like, all right, good luck. You know, you'll figure it out. Just... <laughs> Don't call Preaching them to the choir over right. here. And I even told right. them, I mean, when they interview, what do you feel you is the biggest weakness that you feel you need to improve on? They say, well, classroom management, because I've never really had my own classroom for a long time and a long period of time. I said, I need work because they just threw it at me. And it's like, good luck to you. Here's some strategies. I'm like, doesn't work. <laughs> so using something as simple as your, um, you know, your Rico Theta 360 camera, you can record video of a classroom with students doing certain things and almost like a choose your own adventure. You can create these training scenarios where you can then assess based on how a teacher interacted with students. So now you can actually provide like very real training experiences around these various soft skills that previously were very hard to train for. So that's some, that's, that's some of the work we've been doing, not just uh, with educators, but with uh, even in the corporate space. And I like how you said that, choose your own adventure. And I, I just did that recently with some hyperlinking and Google slides in my mind. Right, right. Slides, yeah. forms. But, and I did, and, but I did also one of my business students for my business basics, like, okay, here's the vocabulary guys. Now, if this happens, what is that scenario? Like, well, there might be a problem with that. So they might need to get mediation because they can't resolve it with their union or maybe they don't have a union. So now they have to go through the other channels, write a complaint letter. But it's like, some of, it was kind of funny. Like my favorite one was, okay, I've decided to blow off a, a PD meeting to go have lunch with the brother and everything else too. <laughs> and one of the options was you email your boss due to a situation because it's not a mandatory meeting. That was what they put into it. But you know, they had it where then the, the boss says, hopefully we'll see you at the next one and enjoy your dinner with your main. I'll see you in the office Tuesday. I'm like, well, see, that was a nice scenario because some people are like, oh, you go, you don't. It's like, problem. So, you know, it's funny. You talked about like, how are we pivoting during the pandemic? And the truth is it's, really never been about the technology, right? It's always been no. about how do we um, improve those teaching and learning outcomes. Now with remote and hybrid instruction, we've had to pivot to finding alternative strategies toward to, to accomplish what we want as our end goal. I think the biggest challenge for teachers has been recognizing that those, those endpoints, those goals are not the same. No. So they're challenging themselves on how do I, <clears throat> how do I replicate what I was doing in the classroom through a remote hybrid environment, the truth is you don't exactly, you, 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 you adapt, right? Right. So AR and VR are tools that can kind of help. So I think about something like Mozilla Hubs, where I can, uh, you know, very quickly create an environment where my students can hop in. There's no setup required, um, you know, things like that. But it's that age old problem of not using technology for technology's sake. So it's not about like using something because, Oh, the tool is cool. And so I'm going to back into figuring out how I'm going to use the tool. It's always going to be about teaching and learning outcomes. And so right now I've been telling people, you know, it's not the time necessarily for the, the VR headsets, but there's definitely still opportunities for you to, 
take a look at what you're trying to accomplish in your classroom and then apply these various technologies to that in order to, you know, um, to hit those, those milestones. Yeah. And I think it's where a lot of people, cause even with, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're planning, it was voted that we would return to a five, five day with still precautions and everything in November, mm-hmm. which, you know, hard to believe is only a month away now from the time we're recording this, right. but we're still having several kids that are going to stay in remote, which I completely understand. We have a couple that are now transitioning to that remote. So it's not like, oh, okay, we're back. You know, we, yeah, we got to wear face masks. Now we get to have a normal classroom. Like, <clears throat> no, you still have a couple of kids that are going to be joining you remotely through Meet, through Zoom, through a pixa and and some you know we're gonna have email too and you know it's just like it, like it goes back to the outcomes not the technology but what can you do it like i said i mentioned my science teacher i talked to another one uh, one thing we did hugely this year is the district bought cami i had known about cami i had never played with cami and then all of a sudden i said oh i can finally do these assignments people i Cammy. had to print out and, and i'm a, I, I even <laughs> have a 90 percent paper free teacher right and, you know, finally I could start doing it like uh, tomorrow for my consumer ed, we're going to, we're going to have a half day, like half is they're, they're studying for their test next class. Other half is we'll review. But I said, those who are done, I want you to start filling out your goal sheet. Originally I had to print these all out. I do it. They'd hand them back to me. I said, put your names on them just in case I got mixed up. I would check mark. That's a good goal. I would think this one over a little bit more and then we'll use this to build your resume. Now it's like, I don't even have to do that. It's like, it's right here. You got until next Wednesday to get yeah. that to me you can fill out in cami a lot of these kids are really funny is like they'll say like oh yeah we're using cami and x y and z and they said well yeah nobody ever uses <laughs> some of them are saying hey i need a pdf like why don't you use cami <laughs> so it, it's funny because you talked about you know what are we doing with regards to like ar vr you mentioned esports and also gamification we'll talk about the esports but gamification to me has never been about technology at all it's been about incentive right yeah. so it's about how do we create and and when have we needed incentive more for students than now when I'm trying to figure out a way to get my students who are connected to my remote classroom to be an active part of the lesson and participate and kind of how do I manage that? So now that's where you start to look to all these alternative strategies for um, engaging your students. And I just, you know, even talking about it makes me just feel so overwhelmingly um, empathetic towards teachers who are really struggling with, with making this transition. But I will say, it is a credit to teachers. I think one thing I found in my, my previous job as, uh, as an administrator was we would assess every year, um, teachers, how teachers self-assess their skills with regards to technology. And teachers would always kind of under-report their technology skills mm-hmm. and say, well, I'm not a techie and I don't know how to do this and I don't know how to do that. But when you would actually start to dig into their answers to questions about what they were able to do, their skills were actually much higher than they self-reported. Right. So I'm curious to see, once we come out of the other end of this, how comfortable and how open to trying new things teachers will be given the fact that they were kind of thrown this insane loop that they had to figure out how to manage. And now all of a sudden they've, they've proven they can tackle these really challenging circumstances. And what about now when you have the choice to do it, right? So now they're going to be able to come back and realize, wow, we're capable of doing a lot more than we thought we were able to do. Yeah, What's and I, next? Think, I think that's a good point. I mean, I, I do. I mean, I always have one like, would you go see, you know, you know, this teacher, they're feeling overwhelmed because I'm like I said, I am that consultant kind of that unofficial instructional coach mm-hmm. right now. And we go through things. And sometimes I'll think of an idea. And like I said, like my one science teacher, I immediately walked over to her and like, did you ever try this? She went, no, I never thought about this. I had one where I walked to one of our uh, longtime social studies teachers, you know, he's an AP teacher. He's also a football coach. And I dropped off one of my book resources, which was don't ditch that text. And he looked at me like, well, what is it like? I'm like, just look through it 
checked a couple of things. I got him tab. He's like, you are a yeah. tab person. I'm like, I'm like find something. I said, find something in there you think you do. I mean, there's a couple. I'm like, don't, you don't have to go through, but like, just look at it. See if there's something. I've had a couple of teachers where some said like, yeah, I like this ability. I had three of them, like, you know, going back to Flipgrid. I had three. They never even thought of it. They heard of it. They knew we were using it. Now they love it especially my foreign language teachers, they love Flipgrid, but they try to keep it up a specific way because they want to hear that conjugation, that, that vocabulary for them. Mm-hmm. Their conjugate. I mean, we have two Spanish teachers. That's the only language we unfortunately have for our school, but it's been such a huge one there, especially for the, for the AP ones. It's right. she's able to do it. And now with the new grading system, she can record it. She'll even answer her question back. Like, okay, you said this, here's my next question in Spanish. And it's like, nope, you got to answer that to me in Spanish. But she'll do that. She'll listen to it and she'll throw them a new. Usually she would do that in the classroom. They would say something. She would think of it on the fly. Now she's like, I can at least record it and so forth. And they were just like, uh oh. <laughs> it's like, but it, it, it's allowing them to test a little bit more. And I have an art teacher. I mean, holy cow, he's got a YouTube channel on ceramics. And I, I had to subscribe to it because I'm like, and he was the one that was very, very, I don't need, I can't use it. I just don't see how exactly. it has to be hands on. And now he's found a. He, he, he's struggled. He's taken advice from me. He got some things. And now it's like, people are like, you've been to Mr. Stender's room. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> See, and it's not just a matter of resilience, right? It's a matter of actually being able to move your practice forward without intention. So imagine what happens now when you're going to be given the opportunity to do that with intention. And I think the, the big piece of it is are schools and districts going to support the PD initiatives that are going to be necessary in order to support teacher growth after this, because I think we both know, and this is something I've experienced in a few places, PD dollars are the first to go. Yep. They are. It's, it's almost viewed as this expectation that teachers should take it upon themselves to professionally grow. And that's partially why things haven't accelerated faster than they have because of this crazy idea that, that the pride in my teaching is somehow attached to whether or not I'm, how many hours I'm willing to commit outside of the classroom to um, further my, you know, my knowledge base. Yeah. And I, I absolutely agree with that. Cause I've had many, you know, even before this happened, uh, me and my, one of my divisions, we were running a, a professional development. We'd only have two people come, two people. We'd post the videos, but it would always be, oh, I can't, I yeah. can't. And then it turned into crash course. I will not forget, you know, March 13th. And we were doing crash course. I even checked with two of our people who did it. One of them's, our driver's ed instructor. I said, yeah, I know you do the Kelly blue book and he does use web search and has them check out a car and everything. Mm-hmm. But I said, you know, you, you can still do that. I said, cause he said himself like, yeah, I'm going to still have people that are going to be online here next couple of days. I said, you know, you can put those all into a hyper slides or docs. He's like, you know what, once we get there, let me know. Cause I know what you're talking about and I can do the videos, but that's a good point because I mean, Kelly blue book we're used. I said, I use Kelly blue book when we do our cars for consumer ed and we just go another notch. I said, well, Kelly blue book was, not the only one out there. I mean, there's other resources and I had kids that didn't even know how interest rates were done and they do my housing use and goes like, okay, if I'm going to live in Florida, I really better have that job. I'm like that's why you go to BLS gov. Cause then it says, okay, what job do you want? And then it says, okay, here's a medium salary. Now calculate it. So there's my little math thrown in too. And I am not a math teacher in any sense. Of- yeah. When, when the pandemic first came down, we actually ready learner one, we, uh, basically created a system for educators who were willing to donate their time to offer support to educators around the country uh, who needed that additional help. Cause you know, not every school, I mean, your school's incredibly fortunate to be able to have you as a, as essentially as a coach. And there's so many schools out there where, you know, coaches are the first thing that go uh, mm-hmm. in the budget. And so now teachers are being forced to make this hard pivot and no one's there to help them. 
Well, and I know some schools that were about to cut those positions and the pandemic mm-hmm. happened and they brought yep. them back. They brought those people back, <laughs> you know. How are you going to get teachers to do this stuff otherwise? Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, like I said, I'm not the thing, but I, and I always tell them I'm more in here. My coworker is always there. I said, if I don't know not Excel direct, I, I had, I had a question about Excel and I said, I'm not certified. I use it. But I said, you want to talk to Kathy because Kathy is the expert. And they did. They asked her, she gave them the information and, you know, she even says, you know, now do this. I mean, she won't show them because she says, if I show you word by word, you don't remember versus if you do it, you remember. Same thing with AR, VR. I, I watched all the videos, but I had to play with those QR codes. I had to play with the app. I had to play with the upload before I really, you know, understood how the AR aspect of Flipgrid or a or a SAR, or even your book when I was doing Reality Bytes. I'm like, okay, I know how to do this. I know how to scan a QR code. And I was like, oh, that's cool. But then I had one word. Why isn't this working? I said, well, maybe because I'm not on Wi-Fi and the 5G's not on. So there it's going to be a little hard for the reality to work. That's right. <laughs> oh, man. Anyhow, so another moving on here. Uh, well, we've really talked about that a good portion. Well, something we always bring up in the uh, Pixel Classroom podcast, just so everybody know, but we had a conversation before we started recording, so we're, we're going to see where this goes now. Um, so we're always looking at X Factor, that one true gift someone brings the classroom every day. What do you think yours is, Jesse? And uh, what about when you're trying to engage students with that X, X Factor? So the X X Factor piece of the conversation ties back to, I don't even know how many people know this. There was a comic book X Factor, um, which was the original members of X-Men who reformed once Jean Grey was resurrected. And, yep. um, and they were like a, a group for a little while. And that was back when there was like five groups running around. It was like yeah. X-Men, X-Force, X-Factor, New Mutants, um, and a couple of other ones. But uh, always enjoyed original X-Men, so I loved my X Factor. <laughs> uh, that, that's true. Written by <laughs> Peter Allen David. That's right. <laughs> So, um, I, you know, I, we, we often talk on our team about how in, in many ways we serve as almost like evangelists for educational technology. And I think that's because we're so excited by the possibilities of, um, that education technology has to offer our students and we're so passionate about it. And I would say that's probably my X factor is my excitement and my passion. Cause I think I am able to convey that in a room when I'm with educators to get them excited about the opportunities that our students can get. Um, for that. So I think I always like to think of myself as an evangelist in that sense, that um, I'm always advocating for the use of technology in order to promote those outcomes, not for technology's sake. When it comes to students and how I like that to come across, I want them to find that passion as well. And I think the way we do that is through ensuring that students are afforded that opportunity for voice choice and agency. So finding more opportunities for student voice, giving them choice and also empowering them through agency over their educational experiences. And so even back, I think back to the last district I was in, how um, we created a student innovation fund where students were able to um, apply for grant money, essentially to see through a project that they were super passionate about. And that manifested itself in many ways. So you had students who, you know, we had students who banded together and built a tiny house. I mean, these were students who had taken basic architecture, hired architects, work with them on de- designing a house, fully enabled, fully worked. I mean, it was incredible. Um, we had students who um, did things to, to um, create a, basically in the nature preserve in the town, had actually enabled or put QR codes on all the different types of uh, plants and tree life so that when a family was going through or a class was going through, they can learn more about what was around them in nature. So what was great was what you saw was these students who – kind of thought they had to stay on the educational track, were able to kind of 
10x what they were doing by letting them tap into those things that they were super passionate about. And it was through giving them those opportunities for voice choice and agency. So I think that's something I talk to a lot of school leaders about is how are you finding those ways to connect to students? And this is actually probably a really nice segue over to the esports conversation because esports was so appealing to me as a topic for a book because it did exactly that. We've talked forever about how much kids love gaming and schools have traditionally always struggled with how to make that part of the school community in a way that didn't feel forced and in a way that didn't feel like they were um, pandering almost. Like we're having games for game's sake, but there isn't really a learning outcome attached to it. And I think what we, what we see now is that is a really dated mentality because it is nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah. And, it, and it's very true. It's like, like I said, me and my uh, division leader, we tried to incorporate that when we were doing our FBLA and it just didn't work out because we had the kids that were just, they wanted to play games and it's like, it's playing games, but there was more into it. And when, um, and my coworker, uh, Devin standard, who, who's, like I said, he's just waiting for me to email him books release. He's afraid <laughs> to buy it, tells you. And my friend, um, James O'Hara, who's written his dissertation on eSports. But I think that's always, it also goes back to the students because sometimes the students, they see it, but they don't quite understand how that mixes in with the educational and the journey with them as well as how it is competitive sports. And we've luckily, we've, we've in path, and just like with us with broadcast, we've now started this own uh um, district podcasting, which is really starting to take off too with our school. But these are areas where they're looking at it like, how does this really take into the learning aspect? But then where do they, you know, where can they get like our student podcast part of it? The kids do it. They, they do the interviews. We just say, Hey, go over there. They record it. They pop it. They do it in a minute, two exactly. minutes. Exactly. Cause that's what the attention and it's great. And it's one thing, same thing with the teachers. We try to keep it 23rd, but we try to keep it in the district But we say, well, tell me what you're doing. How's the pandemic effect? What technology are you? What's, you know, what is your career? And sometimes like we did an interview with one of our other principals and we knew we never had heard their story before. And we were just like, Whoa, I ne never knew that about you, Joe. Wow. That, that's, that's incredible. So, you know, it's, it's finding that learning aspect to take that passion and go into it. Right. And, you know, we started talking about this before we went on the air, but what we found, so we had already started working on the book pre-pandemic. So we were always going to come out with an esports book. What we found during the pandemic was esports wound up becoming the athletics of remote learning. So right. all these other sports had to stop. And the one sport that kept going was esports because these students were actually able to participate in it um, even from a remote, uh, through a remote environment, just because that's the nature of the games they're playing. We, we just got an endorsement for the book, and he actually told a story for the book from uh, Amon Green. I don't know if you know. Uh, the name sounds him. familiar. But he was a, he was a um, four-time Pro Bowl running back for the Green Bay Packers. He's in their Hall of Fame. Uh, amazing athlete. Um, he retired from the NFL and then coached high school football for almost a decade. And now he's actually a collegiate esports coach. And one of the things we talked about, and he shares this in the book, is his esports athletes – do as much preparation and have to be as dedicated to the, what they're doing as traditional athletes. And, you know, going into, going into this book, it's almost like you, you never want to feel like you have to explain yourself, but we've been around long enough to know that video games has always been somewhat of a touchy subject when it comes mm -hmm. to schools, because there's the, the violence in video games and too much screen time and, and all these other things. And so we actually broke up the book into a few different parts. And one of the things we talk about we have like a whole chapter dedicated to like point counterpoint almost where we bring up we're like hey look if you're looking to start a team or a program and you're interested in this here are the questions that are going to come up and just so you're prepared 
here are the answers. Here's the research. Here's the things that people don't really know about because I think we're still stuck in this mindset of, you know, shrugging it off with the, oh yeah, video, you know, Fortnite, boo, guns, I'm out. Mm. And that's not what people are doing when they're playing esports. And there's so much more to it than just that. And, you know, even talking, what you were talking about a few minutes ago with providing students with opportunities to prepare for something bigger than just playing the game. Most of the participants in an esports program are not the gamers. They're the support staff, like the broadcasters, the streamers, the writers, the managers, and those lead to scholarship opportunities at universities. So universities are giving scholarships, not just for being good at playing the video game, but for being a good streamer, for being a broadcaster, for managing the team. I talked to one, um, one university during the interview process uh, of the book where they were saying they had just given a scholarship to a journalism student who her scholarship entailed her writing stories about the esports program as part of her scholarship. Those lead to career pathways. And we've talked forever about how do we find opportunities for every student to feel connected to the school community? Because let's face it, a lot of times students fall through the cracks and do not feel that level of comfort. Well, here's a beautiful opportunity to provide students with a chance to not only participate in something that most of them probably do in their free time anyway, but to create a sense of community for those students who traditionally have felt not in place with like one of the, the traditional sports and also develop skills that could lead to a, you know, paying career or a scholarship as they move forward. So esports programs are really such a win-win for schools. Um, I think the, the, the intended outcome of the book was if you read this thing and you, um, we want you to feel like if you're not doing this, then you're, you, you're missing out. Like you're right. Recognize like I'm doing a disservice by not doing it. Yeah. And I, and I think that's a perfect way to put it too. Cause like when I was first learning esports, like, Oh, there's so much opportunity to do mm-hmm. that. I mean, like I said, when I tried doing it, it just didn't like, I, this is where I needed your book. I think at that point in time here. And like I said, my coworker who took it over, he has said, but you know, he struggled himself because he still falls between those people that just want to be doing it. thinking, Oh, it's just playing game. But you know, Recently, this was a really situation with our chess team. That's how they're doing it. They're all completely doing theirs remote online esports yeah. program. And he's very fascinated. But, you know, him and I, and he was a teacher for 43 years. He's actually a retired um, science teacher. He's been coaching. Um, he was actually state recognized as a coach two years ago for ISHA. So that tells you how much of it. But him and I just had this wonderful conversation about how it creates that opportunity. And he said, some of the people he said who are working on the broadcasting, he said, one of them's working on a scholarship right now, just broadcasting this yeah. in the e-learning for the sports and how it can transition between different sports, not just ones that are exclusively exactly. sports, but ones like chess yes. or, um, or even a type of bowling one where you have to do that as well. Cause there are some schools where they couldn't do the bowling team correctly, but they actually said, well, you can still do it electronically. It recognizes your hand and how you throw the ball. Maybe you get strikes more often, but the, some people want, we never looked at it that way. Because if you look at the percentages, I mean, you're not talking about esports isn't about providing a pipeline for kids to become professional gamers, but unlike no. other sports where if you don't make it as a pro, they're really, you're kind of out. There's a ton of different opportunities here for you to still be involved and develop skills. You know, we talk about preparing students for the, the, the jobs of tomorrow that don't exist or esports is one of the biggest growing industries in the world 
And that's where there's going to be a huge chunk of jobs. And now you're providing them with a pathway to at least have an opportunity to um, participate in one of those career pathways if that's of something of interest to them. Right. And I mean, it just goes into even right now. I mean, you know, you're looking at 3D printing as we talked with Jesus and previously. Mm-hmm. Me with podcasting and broadcast, there's it's a huge area for streaming too. And it's like this is what we've been Absolutely. trying to talk about with so many kids. And I have a couple; they're still doing their podcast. They just graduated, you know, and they were one of our reporters for our podcast. But he ended up doing a little bit for his college, where he says, "Oh yeah, I used to do that for my high school." And they were like, "Oh please, come this way. We want to talk to you a little bit more. You know, how much can you do this?" broadcasting reporting so he's doing that on the side for a paying job why he's going to school and, and, and you know i have to give a shout out to my co-authors um chris avila steve isaacs and christine lyon bailey you know steve and chris have actually been in doing this in schools for years and they've really been at the forefront of um of working with like national esports organizations to really kind of um empower schools to be able to do this and i think the book came about for several reasons one there, like you mentioned before, there really isn't like an esports book out there that does. No, this. there isn't. But I also think there's there's a um, not a need, but I mean, yes, a need. But I just feel like it's a calling for us to be able to highlight for educators how an esports program provides opportunities for students who have not been able to find these opportunities otherwise. So you know, one story I've been sharing is I talked to a director out in. California, and he was saying how they started an esports program at their alternative ed school. So these are students who are not going to class very often, or they're really struggling to find a way to get these kids connected to the school community. So they started an esports program. And if I'm remembering correctly, it was Super Smash Brothers that the kids were bringing in their own devices to run this thing. So when people start talking about the money involved, schools are making it happen with kids bringing in their own devices. Mm-hmm. So it, this can be done on a shoestring. It can be done with a lot of investment, there isn't really um, a magic number or a formula to this. And he was saying how through participating in the esports program, this student who previously they could never even get him to come to school, um, all of a sudden before the first competition he participated in, the parents had called up and said, are our parents allowed to come to the competition? He was like, yeah. And they, they got a call a few hours later from the same parents. They're like, well, we have relatives that want to fly up from Sacramento to see the competition. Can they do that? And what he realized wow. was- this was a family that had never felt a connection to their school community. And now all of a sudden their child was participating in a competitive sport in their school. And this was a big deal for that family. And so when you think about the different types of the different students in your school and those pockets of students who don't really feel ownership over their school experience and that they really belong in school, this is another opportunity to give students that platform to be able to be a successful member of your school community in however you define success. Wow. That's like a mic drop right there. I think it's the best way to do it. I mean, cause you know, one thing we talk about is leadership in the classroom and stuff for how it's very mm-hmm. important thing. I mean, and you, you right there, you talk about how finding those op- those, le- those opportunities for students. I mean, right here about a community for someone who never felt part of the school community and how they've outreached it. I mean, usually like, Oh yeah, they're a baseball player. Grandparents are going to drive th- an hour to come watch their grandchild play baseball, softball, someone. but here it's like an esports one that they're coming into competition. We had one where we had a competition for FBLA and we actually had the parents, even though they were very involved parents, like, I would got to go to see this competition. Like, well, it's a three hour drive. Like, I'm going to come. I want to see the opportunity that my kid do. There was an opportunity for them to see this happen. 
it, it's funny because you know you 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 talked about students and teachers becoming leaders uh, in their own learning, and so my role in the book, one of my 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 main roles was I did all the interviews. So I interviewed probably like three dozen uh, gamers, people that are in the industry, asking. Basically, I want to know about every aspect of the esports experience, and that included interviewing students. And one of the students I interviewed had just graduated high school and was a freshman in college, and he was now coaching esports at the high school level, even while he was still a college student. And I have to tell you, he was more stringent than most of the other coaches I've talked to. I mean, he was like, <laughs> "No way, man! My players have to be on a diet, and they have to be exercising, and they have to be like." It was, and and he was saying, "And we're not tolerating if they're coming in and they're not." being part of the team. And he, it, it's so funny because right before we got on the podcast, he actually messaged me through LinkedIn. He was like, Hey, I don't know if you remember me. You interviewed me for the book. I was like, Oh yeah, it's coming out next month. Like uh, you're in it. I, I talked <laughs> about your whole, you know, diet regimen and everything. And it's, it's, it students, if you provide them with that platform and that opportunity for them to take a leadership role or ownership over their own learning, you know, again, voice choice and agency, they will rise to the occasion. They will do it. And that's, why I think esports has been so appealing for me is it's more than just the fact that I love games and I've been a gamer my whole life. It's the fact that we've now cracked that code on how to actually turn game gaming into a meaningful experience for our learners. And, you know, I, I just want to make sure we're separating, like this is gaming versus gamification. I think when we're talking about gamification, we're talking about making, making everyday learning fun by giving points or extra credit or whatever. Right. You know, right. Finding those opportunities. Whereas, no, what we're talking about here is playing video games, but yet there is something so incredibly meaningful about that. And you have organizations like NASAF, the North American uh, Scholastic Esports uh, Foundation, Federation. I always forget the F. It, but, might be, um, it might be a federation. I'm not sure either. Yeah, right. I, think I know what you're talking about, but I'm just yeah, like, Federation is sticking out in my, I think it's a federation. So they yeah, actually, we're just thinking Star Trek, one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, neutral zone. Uh, so, um, <laughs> They've actually developed curricula showing how esports can actually be used in the classroom in a variety of different ways. And when you think about it, this started a few years ago. We've been talking about Minecraft mm -hmm. for, for schools for years. I mean, Steve, who one of my co-authors, has been leading, you know, a leading educator in the Minecraft space for forever. And, you know, it's funny. The other night, um, shout out to Mike Washburn, who was resident historian of our book. He, he has a little... Um, chapter piece where he, he takes us on a little history lesson of how we got to where we are with gaming. So he works for participate and they host a, a gaming live stream. So a bunch of educators I want to say there was like 15 of us last week. We did an among us live stream. Have you ever played among us? I, I I've actually been studying up on it lately too. A couple of my, a couple of my students were talking about in our marketing classes. We were joking. Cause uh, one thing my son and I like to watch too is uh pixel pals and unit where they were actually making fun of among us <laughs> and they were using Mario and Kirby. Like what if Mario and Kirby were the imposter? And so yeah, you need to tell your kids they're sus. That's like, that, that was my big takeaways. Everyone's sus. So <laughs> What was cool was we played this game, all the educators, we played it on the live stream for like an hour or so, and then had this really good conversation on Twitter about, okay, what are ways that we could leverage this game in various classrooms? And we talked about history in ELA and it was just like, wow, there's, there's so, I, educators are so much more, um, I hate to use the word hip, but hip to, <laughs> hip to the possibilities or open to the possibilities for gaming in the classroom than I think we were a few years ago. And it's a really nice transition to see. And I really feel like it isn't due in part to what we collectively have been through in the past year or so and the adjustments we've had to make. And, you know, my biggest fear has been that 
you know, the pandemic's going to end and we're going to forget all the lessons we've learned along the way here. Um, and just try to go back to quote unquote normal. Mm-hmm. I think that's the worst thing we could do. The and, worst you know, thing we could try to get back to normal because there is no normal other than the one that we redefine for ourselves moving forward. And we've really, we've done so much. Educators have done so much. I feel like there's so much more left to do too. And I feel like now they're equipped to be able to do it. Well, and that's the one thing we've talked for so long about how, I mean, they've been talking about for decades, even when I was in high school in the nineties, how education is a stagnancy and everything else. And I said, yeah, and this actually pushed us out. Now the the problem is there was a lot, there was a lot of problems. I mean, I mean, I felt stressed myself. I mean, I feel like I'm always trying to get grading done and you know, my, you know, my, you know, my TA, her and I will spearhead kids like no you got to turn thing and some kids like well you know before we went to hybrid remote learning at least kids turned in in things i said so please explain (laughs) to me even if it was a handout did they just say oh i left it at home how many times i said well you got a point they're like didn't stop don't tell me they didn't turn it if they didn't want to turn it in they didn't want to turn it this just allowed them to not hit the button turn so so real talk for a second right when we were all talking about in the spring and everyone was like remote learning failed Remote learning didn't fail. Teachers were not given the support and training they needed to be able to uh-huh. succeed. So that was A. B, I totally lost my train of thought. B <laughs> was, oh. <laughs> I was on my pedestal for a second and now I forgot. So, oh, B, the missed, now I'm back, I'm back. B, the missed opportunity was that over the summer, instead of actually then going back and saying, here's let's prep teachers for remote learning, we kind of waited till the last second and then just did it again. So yep. it's, it's, it, it's been a weird look. Of course we'd rather be in the classroom with our kids, mm-hmm. but there are benefits to, to, to the model that I don't even think we'll see for until years from now where we'll understand what we're capable of. I know as someone who I'm now working, you know, from home, I mean, the secret's out, man, working from home is amazing. I, I love it. I don't, you know, it's, it's, but I think there are benefits to, um, to both models. And I think, you know, we just need to understand what those benefits are, how to best maximize those and how to support educators to maximize those benefits in order to improve student learning outcomes. Right. And I, and that's the thing is we don't know where it's going to be. I mean, people talk about, you know, what it is when there's a cure, you know, Hey, we'll be doing this 2021, 2022, whatever. But I said, but it's going to be a few years, but I think the biggest thing is, you know, we, we you know, that it has years. Like I said, you can listen to several other, you know, podcasts, soapboxes. I've had my arguments with people. They know that too. But I think when it's all looked thing was we had that problem. We got thrown in a lot of ones weren't many were just, you know, I'm never going to need this. Then they were thrown into the situation where they were needed. Then they did want the opportunity, but then they got, somewhere they were overwhelmed with with what was out there i mean that was a true like i said i i learned how to use go guardian i said i need this thing for years to really keep track of where the kids are crazy. the way this it was is. done was crazy like exactly. people were like why don't we do this and it's like okay do you want to walk us through what that's going to look like no we'll just do it and we'll see what happens it's like well of course that's going to be terrible like yeah and yet you can't fall administrators necessarily either because this is just a terrible situation for no it everybody. is exactly it's just terrible for everybody I, yeah exactly and then you have but it's hard and- not right it's hard not to sit back and be impressed looking at what teachers are able to do right now um that i think if you had said if you told teachers a year ago here's what you're going to be doing they'd be like no way there's no way i can do that yeah. and they're doing it at day yeah. day, they're doing it it's a lot it's been a, it's been yeah. it's it's been a big haul and you know yeah. 
I, I, I have to admit to it, there will be a part of me that will be happy when we've kind of gotten to a much more control clean to the, like I said, I, I mean, I'll still be in because right. I've never stopped. People always look at me like, why do you never stop? Like, no, I said, even I said, even because of the pandemic, I learned to cut the, you know, the junk out of my curriculum. Like, you know what? We don't need to focus on this. There's no point to this. You can have one terminology. It really doesn't have a thing. It's like, you can't, my thing's always like, I want you to take this out of the classroom. I, that's how my teachers, why I love certain teacher versus the one where, well, this is the reason why A is not right. And this is the answer. I'm not going to show you why it's the answer. You know, one thing I always say about my math team is they show you why that is the answer and why it has to be this answer instead of like, well, just because X equals 15. If you don't get that, sorry, moving on. Well, this is like you said, this is the disruptive moment. I mean, look, we did not do standardized testing last year. And guess what? The world didn't end. No. Well, not because of standardized testing. But <laughs> that was the problem. But um, yeah, just what are we going to do coming out of this moving forward? And I think, you know, tying this all back together to both the ARVR piece and the esports piece, you know, as I say to teachers all the time when I'm doing training, you don't know what you don't know. And so part of what we've tried to do uh, as a company is how do we highlight these emerging technologies and these, op- these learning opportunities for students, for educators to try to accelerate adoption timelines and, and get people really excited about what this can do for, for, um, for students. And I think that's, you know, you may, you may have teachers out there who are not gamers and you may have teachers out there who are not super into AR and VR, but you know what teachers are into? Making learning experiences great for their kids. And teachers are, have now shown that they're capable of putting themselves in an uncomfortable place when it comes to technology if they think it's going to help their kids. And so that's where I think like we're in a great spot in that, you know, both tools or both technologies we've written books about are things that are in the years to come going to play an important part in meaningful learning opportunities and experiences for kids. And so we can do that stuff now we can wait, but either way you need to know about it because it's here and it's not going away. Beautifully, beautifully said. I think that's that's a great way to kind of leave it right there. Because <laughs> not, not that Jesse hasn't had several mic drops here. I've been like sitting here, like, man, that's oh, that's a good one. No, come no, up with a couple going. other ones here. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Is there uh, Jesse? How can people get a uh, you know um, hold of you uh, for for in contact here to learn more about these opportunities and everything? Yeah, so I'm I'm all over the interwebs. So uh, I'm on the Twitters and Instagram. I'm at Jay Lubinsky, J-L-U-B-I-N-S-K-Y. You can email me at jlubinsky at gmail.com. Um, Ready Learner One, you can follow along our work. We are readylearner.one-O-N-E. Who knew that was a, an, an extension, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and also we're on Twitter at uh, readylearner underscore the number one. We... Um, Partial credit. I'm actually recording partial credit uh, right after I get off the pod right now with Ryan. So our podcast, which I co-host with uh, Donnie Piercy and Jeff Heil, is uh, partial dot credit. Again, cool extension. Who knew there was a dot credit extension? Uh, we tried to buy extra credit. That was already taken. We took the partial credit. We, lo- we love it. And um, yeah, if you want to go to changemakeredu.org, that's some of the work that I've been doing with uh, my regular one colleagues on trying to bring the best teachers into every school to provide professional development um, around the world. And so we're just, we, we're, we're really blessed again to be able to work in, in a space with so many amazing people and um, kind of going back to like the Malcolm Gladwell thing and like the tipping point, you know, I think of myself sometimes as a connector in terms of, you know, just being able to connect people and find uh you know, 
amazing opportunities to be able to collaborate and work together to do these amazing things. And I just want to, I, I'm excited to be able to continue to do that with my friends. Well, thanks again so much, Jesse, for being. Thanks for having me. No, this has been a great time. I and mean, it's just been a <laughs> wonderful time here. Despite, you know, little things and cars driving by, you know, doing music here, as much as I try to soundproof this thing. It's like, also, it's like, he's talking about esports. Also, you hear a boom, da, boom, da, boom. Why, you know, I heard my daughter at one point yelling about something outside, and I was thinking how you were saying, you know, this pandemic, it could go on for years. And I was just thinking, she starts kindergarten next year, and I cannot be home with her. <laughs> I need her to be well, and my son was just calling me here because it's I cannot be home with we're her. all going to bed soon. But it's just right. like, he's like, Dad, Dad, and like, yes, I'm like, oh yeah, he's got school tomorrow. <laughs> I was like, I got school tomorrow. It's kind of well. My son w- was in here before because we were playing. I don't know if you've played this yet, but have you tried Star Wars Squadrons? No, I don't have it. <gasps> but oh my, I was listening to the Coffee and Kenobi oh, podcast. Oh my goodness. They were just going out with all these people, and I was. I haven't even tried it in VR yet. I'm almost afraid it's going to be too much, and I'll never come out again. They they were talking, like I said, Coffee and Kenobi podcast, and it was just like he was talking, like, well, you know, I had the one guy was around the ER. He's like, well, since I'm not financially high stakes to do that, but he says, like, you're really there. The guy was like, you look down, and there's a Tie Fighter. You look there, there's a U wing to blow up. It was like, yeah, if you want to, if you want to see why you need to get VR, if you're a Star Wars geek, uh, you check out Squadrons or even Vader Immortal. I mean. Right there, that's reason enough to buy an Oculus Quest. <laughs> exactly. And I have an Oculus Quest. So yeah. Like, oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> right, time, to go, time to go Star Wars here for the next paycheck, you know, after the bumper stickers have been replaced so, with uh, sports. <laughs> thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It was great. Thank you so much for being here, Jesse. If you want to learn more about the Pixel Classroom Podcast, remember we are on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and Amazon Podcasts. You can also copy the RSS feed right into your device. If you like what you hear, please think of subscribing and please leave us a review. We would love to hear from you. Thank you again, listeners, and I will talk to you again later on the Pixel Classroom Podcast.